Hello and welcome to my first five years podcast. I'm Alastair Bryce Clegg. And I'm Jenny Johnson. And we're early years experts and the founders of My First Five Years, an activities and child development app for parents. And in this podcast, what we want to do is to help you to find the joy in parenting and ditch some of that guilt and worry that we all have as parents. Absolutely. We're just passionate about getting rid of as much of that anxiety as possible and having much more fun with these first five years. Absolutely. So in every episode of the My First Five Years podcast, what Jenny and I want to do is just chat around the issues that crop up a lot in parenting. So things that parents have talked to us about over the years. And it's usually concerns around things like sleep and nutrition, but also that worry around what you think your child should or shouldn't be doing compared to somebody down the street, what your granny is saying to you or what you're seeing in social media. So we kind of want to help you understand what might be going on in your child's development so that that'll help you relax a bit more and appreciate that every child is unique and gets there at their own pace. And it's not helped at all, is it, by social media and all the things that we see there. And today we've chosen to focus on a a topic that stems from that a little bit, which is about being realistic about our parenting. And what we want to explain is what that means and what it looks like. And we're going to talk through some real examples of how it's okay to be a realistic or even a good enough parent. And I'm really looking forward to exploring that term good enough, because I know the first time I heard it, it didn't necessarily sit that well with me, you know, like children deserve the best of us. But actually, when you unpick what's meant by this good enough parenting, I did get really comfortable with it in the end, because we're all just doing our best each and every day, aren't we? Yeah, so we'll definitely dig into that. So Alistair, what do we mean by this term realistic parenting? Well, I'm always amazed that there are now, I mean, parent used to be parenting and now there are loads of different sorts of parenting, especially if you've got a TikTok, you'd be a million different sorts of parent. And I think what we are talking about with realistic parent is not a something that's aspirational, that you want to aspire to be a certain type of parent, but realistic parenting is about how you as a parent accept there'll be some days that are great, some days that are not so great, and some days that are a bit in the middle. And that actually, if you've got a view that you do the best that you can on the good days and the not so good days, that's about being realistic in your parenting. So what might be really useful, Jenny, is for us to maybe flesh out some examples of what we mean by realistic parenting. I guess one of the things it's easy for me to talk about is that I was introduced to many of these concepts with my third child. So I'd already done it a different way with child one and two. And I definitely had unrealistic expectations of their behaviour, you know, that they would be able to go out for a meal, sit through three courses, we'd maybe have a coffee as well, you know, and and (laughs) expectations that that they would sit there quietly or that when we went to a family event that they'd know how to behave. And actually that's just really unrealistic. And when you begin to understand understand what's realistic to expect of your child and relaxing into that and being comfortable with it you know we as parents are allowed to have a bad day we're allowed to be in a bad mood we're allowed to raise our voices so why on earth would we expect better behavior from our two three and four year old children it's just crazy to have that expectation that we'll go to a family event and they'll be seen and not heard for example what's fascinating is we now understand way more about that higher level executive function with children and how they manage their own behavior but not only that that behavior 
is linked to development. So mm -hmm. therefore, as children are developing, a lot of the expectations that we've got historically of what children should and shouldn't be doing at certain ages and stages yep. is really inappropriate because yep. they haven't actually cognitively, brain-wise, developed the ability to do those things. I mean, even things like empathy, the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and appreciate their emotions. <laughs> For some children, it doesn't happen way through two, three years old. So why are we asking children to apologize or to understand why somebody else might be upset yep. when they haven't even got the brain function to allow that to happen yep. means that as a parent you automatically put yourself in a no-win situation you are literally setting yourself up to fail you are and of course if you don't know that and it's tradition that you do that you carry on doing it yeah and, and then, then you, think you're rubbish then, yeah <laughs> and then upset your child and then so it goes and the cycle continues so whilst my eyes have now been open to what is realistic for a two three and four year old at a restaurant maybe it'd be handy for people listening to have a view of that from somebody that's a childcare development expert? Well, if we talk about the development of children like we do in my first five years, it's very much about the unique development of children. So yeah. sometimes age is immaterial because it depends on how your child is developing. Absolutely. So when also children will respond differently given their family environment, so how their parents are reacting to each other so what this is familiar behavior mm -hmm. but also where you are in the pecking order so if you are the fourth child you know in a family of four with three very boisterous older siblings and you've really got to fight for your place in that family then you learn to fight for your place in that family and that's regardless of whether you're sitting at home or whether you're out in a restaurant yeah and also if you don't eat in restaurants very often and you're putting children in really unfamiliar situations then they're on high alert and their brain goes a little bit more into fight or flight even though they're with you and they or they might be with family but yeah. the environment is strange the routine is strange and therefore their kind of brain is kicking into right I'm not quite sure what we do here mm -hmm. so their responses are bound to be different and then we've got to think as parents as well about the boredom factor yeah because things like eating out it is so boring for children and especially if your main course comes at least 20 minutes after you've ordered <laughs> your starter yeah, and yeah. you've run out of breadsticks <laughs> so a lot of realistic parenting is about being prepared but also thinking about the fact that you know if you were to or you know, as I often say to my boys, or did when they were in their teens, what did you think was going to happen? Sometimes yeah. that bit of reflectiveness where you go, right, actually, I was ill-prepared to that because when we went out to do this, what did I think was going to happen? Yeah. And yeah. actually, it's about learning to get more prepared for those situations, which is, again, what we do loads of in my first five years, mm -hmm. is hints and tips and hacks from yeah, parents. Yeah, those practical about, yeah, ideas, yeah. This is what you can do because this has really worked for me. Yeah. So another thing I learned sort of third time round was not to spend as long creating these what I now call fantasy activities because <laughs> it is a bit of a fantasy about what's going to happen next um, and especially in the era of TikTok and Instagram where you're seeing all these really beautiful yeah, creations exactly. and how children are going to interact with them and the beautiful things they're going to create at the other end and actually realising that if I'm going to get the paints out for example it's likely that the resulting artwork of this emerging artist is going to be brown yes, <laughs> and it's going to be just <laughs> probably unrecognised because yeah. all these beautiful paints will have just merged into one but that's fine because she's had an amazing time doing it so again 
chatting through that sort of realistic view of what's likely to happen when you have these aspirational ideas about the next hour that you're going to spend with your child and the amazing time that you're going to have together. I think when you talked earlier about expectations around parenting and you you can build yourself up to think, right, if I'm going to be a really good parent, what I need to do is provide as many opportunities as I can to do activities with my child. And you spend longer setting it up and clearing it up than the child actually interacts with it. And they never interact with it in the way that you expect them to in my experience. And that's a really important thing to know is that go in with no expectations rather than going in with I'm going to make whatever it may be and it's going to look like that and also giving yourself permission as a parent think well that's okay if they do just tip all the paints out or if they're just (laughs) not really interested but I think part of the realistic parenting bit is to think well we don't have to set up this amazing atelier art studio for our children (laughs) we can mix some mud paint or we can make it really simple or we can just get a few things out and see what they do with it and then add to them later. Because that idea of letting children explore is really good for their brain development because they're having to really think about what they're doing and feeling and touching and process. But also the role of the parent then is just to kind of scaffold. And by that, I mean to chip in ideas every now and then. If you look like your child is getting stuck or a little bit lost or that the activity is getting a little bit stale, you can prompt. But what that isn't is like, coaching them through saying and now yeah, do let's this do and, this yeah, and now let's do this and stick that googly eye here but when you think about it that's so much easier getting a few things out seeing where your child goes allowing them to explore supporting where they go is way easier than setting up this massive thing that you're gonna have to clear away that they're not that interested in the first place yeah and i think again this is why we're so passionate about this idea of realistic expectations realistic parenting is that once you understand it that little bit more it's typically a more straightforward day that you're likely to have and also if there's some paint on your dining room table no one's gonna die you know the paint police are not going to come and arrest you if having <laughs> paint on your dining room table and in houses where there are real children having real life experiences you will find mess because children through their learning process learn through experimentation deconstruction reconstruction so therefore mess is a integral part of a healthy childhood i mean you don't want to get to like the other extreme where you know environmental health are getting called <laughs> but you would expect to find some good active play-based mess in yeah. a, you know in a house with children in it no absolutely I think another thing that I learned that made me a more realistic parent is that we don't need to overschedule our children. And I think there can be quite a lot of that. I know when I was running a childcare group, lots of parents would proudly tell me about all the things that they were doing outside of school and outside of nursery and at the weekends. And it felt like there was very little downtime and that these children were probably slightly exhausted and never used to the concept of being bored. Yeah, and boredom is a really positive thing for children because, you know, boredom is the mother of invention. So out of that boredom and thinking time comes often ideas. But also you're dealing with developing brains that are bombarded every day with loads of new information. And what those brains need is sleep for one, Mm -hmm. but also they do need downtime to process what they've been through. And again, I think we've all done it as really well-meaning parents that want the best for their children. You think the more you can pack in, the more experiences, the more clubs, the more things that you like give them exposure to, Mm -hmm. the better they will be. And absolutely, your children want lots of variety of experience in their lives, but 
the downtime is as important as the experiences they have because they need to be able to process it. So you're dead right. It's about finding that fine balance between giving your child some new experiences Mm -hmm. that will help them to build and develop new aspects of their knowledge, Mm -hmm. but also giving them opportunities to consolidate what they already know and just some time to be. Because as human beings, we all benefit from some time just to kind of center yourself Mm -hmm. take a breath and then off we go again I think it's that common sense thing again that when you just process it for a minute and think about it as an adult you need downtime you need a bit of time just to sort of decompress so your children are going to need the same and I think this is what I've always loved about learning how children tick is that it often just makes sense and the penny drops and you go ah yeah and actually I don't need to do this and I don't need to do that and I can simplify this and I'll be calmer and they'll be calmer and it'll well, kind of... If you think about and often people talk about the witching hour at the end of the day, especially if you've got <laughs> multiple children where everything just goes wrong and it's usually around bath time, bedtime. And that's because as they're getting really tired, their brain then loses some of its capacity to think and to order and that higher executive function around behaviour control. Yeah. They lose it because they're just tired so all of the things they used to self-regulate go out the window so (laughs) yeah yeah but then again that's perfectly normal and natural and again as parents it it makes it it doesn't make it any better because it's still a testing time yeah but if you understand that this is not your child willfully trying to annoy you it's actually your child going through a biological process that all children go through yeah it makes it sit a little easier it does and as well if you know that on a good day the way to respond to that is to meet them where they are as yeah. opposed to get angry and annoyed yeah. and frustrated which is hard yeah. Well, yeah. it is hard and sometimes you you won't do the best version of yourself and you may be angry and frustrated but when you know there is a different way to respond and you can train yourself to try to to give that response it will make a difference to everybody and i think it's also about sharing that information with your partner if you've got a partner or the people who also co-care for your children because what can be really tricky is when you've got one of you of uh, that is yeah, got a particular yeah. style of parent and then yeah. another that comes from a very different angle yeah but what usually helps to level that out is the science that goes behind the behavior yeah so when you can say well like the science tells us yeah. that my child is behaving because of this not because they're that kind of personality not they're out to get you for yeah. the night well exactly and it kind of no can really feel like that yeah But also what's really interesting from my point of view, when we talk about that time when you do sometimes fall out with your children and you do get frustrated because it's the end of a long day and you are frazzled and they are just playing up at every turn. But we know that for children, if you have a moment where you say or do something that is about you being frazzled and losing your temper a little bit, but then you are able to repair that relationship by saying to your child, right, this happened and I said that or I shouted and I shouldn't have done that because that made me feel like this. How did it make you feel? That reparation is really valuable mm-hmm. in their emotional development. Of and course it is. It's a life skill for us all, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. So children who never got that because they had a perfect parent would never be able to develop in that way. So you're modelling how things will go wrong, yep. but it's how you make them better that's really important so there is some positives even when you feel like even in that rubbish day i wish i hadn't shouted just get to bed or whatever it is that you shout or there is as long as you go back and make some sense out of it for them there's some really good learning in that that's nice to hear
And I guess with realistic parenting as well, it is about us looking around and looking at some of the decisions that we'll make and figuring out what works for us and Mm. our families. And I can think of a few examples that parents end up having to take a view on for various reasons and that might be how they feed the child whether it's you know breastfeeding or bottle feeding the type of nappies they use whether they're sort of disposable nappies or reusable cotton nappies when they might wean their child what they might wean them on there are just different decisions that parents are going to have to make and as long as they are not damaging to their child then they have to take their mental health and their routines and their work-life balance or whatever it might be into account so that they can come up with a method that works for them because if we set ourselves an impossible standard we're just going to be constantly miserable i remember talking to one of our friends when my boys were really little and they were trying the uh, cry out method which is what had been recommended to them and they were just exhausted they had two children and i remember her saying so last night it just we just took them into our bed so we could all just get a night's sleep and they all slept <laughs> and she was feeling wretched that she'd broken this commitment that she'd made to this particular ethos yeah and actually in terms of realistic parenting if you are all exhausted and your child is exhausted and you need to sleep and getting them to sleep is that's your solution then that's a realistic solution to a problem that was providing you with with difficulty. And I think as well, some of these age-old methods like the cry-out method are are really being debunked now as being best for baby because they're not best for baby. It's not developmentally appropriate necessarily for children to sleep all the way through. And that's another fine example, I suppose, of handed down from generation to generation that a good baby sleeps through. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not a realistic expectation. If your child who is under five misbehaves, and we could explore that term for an hour, you know, (laughs) sit them on the naughty step for a minute for every year they've been alive on their own and take them into great angst and distress. So there are other options to the naughty step. There absolutely are. Again, but these are common myths that are out in the parenting community because of social media or television or whatever it may be or just passed down as a way to do things and again parents do it with the best intentions Mm -hmm. this is not about parents wanting to willfully do things that are not going to be good for their children but what we know more now is you know what is good and what is not so good and we can really challenge some of those with some good alternatives for what you could do instead and I think as well it's about as a parent being willing to have a growth mindset and listen to some of this stuff because clearly you could listen to something and go well hang on a minute I'm doing that so that's wrong they're wrong about that I'm, yeah. I'm right and they're wrong or what I did even though it was third time around and I'd done it a different way with the other two it was like yeah but that actually makes sense I get that and yeah. I'm willing tomorrow to wake up and try it differently because actually I think that is better and the science that you're referring to and the research they're referring to just makes sense. So why wouldn't you change if you know that there is a different and an easier and a better way? Better for you, better for baby. And again, as a realistic parent, you think, and that's what I did. And I did it with all the best intentions. Yep. I know better now. or I know different now. So I'm going to do it differently. It doesn't make you a bad parent. It makes you a realistic parent yep. who is reflective on their parenting and evolving with the knowledge that you've got as you would in any other aspect of your life. So Alistair, let's just recap what we've said today about realistic parenting. Well, I think it does what it says on the tin. Yeah. Realistic parenting is about having a realistic view of what it is to be a parent. The good bits, the not so good bits, and the really not so good bits. And the fact that you try and make your parenting 
fit your lifestyle, your personality and your children's personality, but base it around the science and the research that's available to us so you're doing things that will benefit your child but in a way that suits you as a family. Yeah, it's got to work for everybody. Yeah. So Alistair, I'm going to quick fire five Uh scenarios that come up on a regular basis and you can tell us how being a realistic parent is going to help. Okay, I'll do my best. You ready? Go on. One. A meltdown in Tesco's. Okay, for me, a realistic parent would acknowledge that there will be a sense of embarrassment, discomfort potentially, but also knowing the science would acknowledge that their child can only tantrum if they've reached a certain level of cognitive development. So it's actually a celebration that your child's brain is growing. Two, they never leave me in peace when I go to the loo. Always the case. And partly that's because they love you. And partly it's also because children develop a thing called object permanence, where they can't believe an object exists if they can't see it. And you are an object. So therefore, they will come into the toilet just to make sure that you're still there. Three, my child keeps asking why, 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 why. When you ask a question, you normally get a response. And also, children are reaching a stage in their development where they're just fascinated with the world, so they're just full of questions. So it's usually a phase, doesn't last very long, so embrace it while it lasts. Number four, and I'm going to be kind here and say tall stories, when what I really mean is when your kiddie tells a lie. Oh, and it's devastating the first time they lie. It's just devastating. But actually, your surrealistic parent will feel a sense of devastation, being let down, betrayal. But actually... <laughs> You're being very dramatic yeah, now, Alistair. No, but I'm thinking back to it, never mind. But um, <laughs> when children lie, you have to have a level of creativity to be able to invent something that is a non-truth. And also, the best lies have a large element of truth in them. So children who are really good liars are also performing at a very high cognitive level. So again, celebrate the fact that your child can lie to you. I think think you've been a bit unrealistic there, Alistair. We'll have to unpick that one another time. Absolutely. So number five, my kiddie is just on one today and I'm really beginning to struggle. I think, again, a realistic parent would acknowledge that as children's emotions get high, you as a human being also are an emotional being. So therefore, you will also have you know, positive and negative emotions. So partly it's about recognising that and trying to have strategies for if you really feel like you're reaching the top of your boiler and there's no capacity left, (laughs) what can you do to alleviate your own high level of emotion before you go and support your child? Yeah, so a bit like on the aircraft when you put the air mask on yourself before you help anybody else, it's that sort of mentality of what do I need to do for me first so that I can come and help you? Easily said, not always easily done. Absolutely. Good to aspire to. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'd love to hear what you think. And if you want to learn a bit more about the science, tips, hacks and any other aspects around realistic parenting in the early years, then download our app. So you can just search my first five years on the App Store. And of course, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and TikTok. And we're at my first five years and that's the five written out, not the number five. Next time on My First Five Years, we'll be doing a Christmas special. I know, I literally can't wait. We know as much as it can be a wonderful time for children, it can be a pretty stressful time for us parents. So we'll give you some tips and tricks for getting through the festive season in as realistic a way as possible. Can't wait. Massive help to us too, because we're new to this podcasting thing. If you could rate, review and follow and tell others what we're doing as well. We really want to make a difference in this first five years space. And it's all about you, what you want to know and how we can help you.